You're listening to the Warrior Priest Podcast. This is the Warrior Priest Podcast, midweek debrief number 34, and I'm the Warrior Priest, Donovan Riley. There is a passage in the Havamal, it's a Norse book of wisdom, parables of wisdom, nuggets of wisdom, and it goes like this. The coward believes he will live forever if he holds back in battle. But in old age, he shall have no peace, though spears have spared his limbs. In other words, cowards will never know peace. And they spend so much time and energy and focus and attention on avoiding getting into conflicts putting themselves in situations where they have to battle that they never know any peace. And of late, something that I have noted, at least where I live at locally more and more, is the number of people who complain anonymously to OSHA, to the Department of Agriculture, Department of Health and Human Services, where I live at. There are they're reporting anonymously. And this is in a semi-rural area, small town life, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 people. They're calling on their neighbors. They're reporting their neighbors anonymously, like I said, for not wearing masks or not requiring people to wear masks when they go into this or that business. And this infuriates me. Because these are the kinds of people, these are the kinds of personalities, in my opinion, who would call and report the Jews to the Gestapo. They would call and report their neighbors to the Stasi. They would turn their neighbors into the Chinese government, Chinese communist government agents. And yet they do so for that, that taste, that hit, of power, that belief that they're doing good and that those who are not doing like them, who do not believe like them, are not only misinformed, not only a threat to public health, but are morally evil people that need to be reported, to have their business license pulled or their businesses shut down, to be fined to have, essentially, their means of supporting their families taken away from them. This is what it's come to in the United States and in many places around the world. Neighbors informing on neighbors, but not having the courage to walk up to the person at the counter or to say to the store owner or to walk across the street and knock on the neighbor's door and ask, why don't you wear a mask? Why don't you enforce masks in your place of business? What is your philosophy? What is your motive and intent for doing the opposite of what I believe to be the right way forward for all of us? Instead, they're cowards who make anonymous phone calls and report on their neighbors, not just once, but three, four, five times. This is where we are at now in the United States. 
this divide is not just ideological. It's not just the data that I have collected versus the data that you've received. It's not just two people accusing the other of being misinformed. But now it's become this transcendent conflict in which now it's morality versus morality, good versus evil. Now my neighbor is my enemy and I am the enemy of my neighbor. Often, whether I seek out that distinction or not. And this division is fueled by the mainstream media and by politicians, especially in this an election year. And yet, much of my frustration that is not directed at the politicians or their mouthpieces in the mainstream media, my frustration is directed towards my neighbors in these communities that would so casually, without any regard for their neighbor, whom they have to see and interact with regularly because they live in a small town. Everybody knows everybody. They call and report on their neighbors. And yet, like I said, don't have the courage, don't have the moral fortitude to simply go up to their neighbor and ask, why? And like I said, it just got me it got me thinking last night because I got home from the gym from teaching for two hours and my wife informed me about my son's boss and what he's going through in regards to this and being visited by OSHA and how they can't really enforce the mandates because it's not a law and yet because they can't legally enforce the mandates, they go around the issue and threaten to take away his business license, threaten to fine him, threaten to shut his business down if he doesn't comply. And God bless him, he won't comply. And he keeps a copy of the law right there at the front counter. And he's done everything that is expected of him within the bounds of reasonableness and logic, according to him, to operate his business in such a way that he's not putting people in danger, according to other people's philosophical approach to COVID. But at the same time, he's got to run a business. And he doesn't buy into this pandemic, this scamdemic that we've been sold from the very beginning. Which is not to say that COVID-19 isn't real. Of course it's real. It's a real virus and it affects people. And people that are compromised with their immune systems, people that are morbidly obese, the elderly, those who are already weakened, who have compromised immune systems, of course, of course, they are the most at risk for dying because of complications that COVID-19 essentially stirs up. But those same people would die if they got the flu or pneumonia or tuberculosis like last year. But the constant hammering by the media, the constant hammering by the politicians, celebrities virtue signaling, professional athletes virtue signaling, all of these people on social media in particular, taking a stand, demanding that we comply with the mask mandates, with vaccinations, with social distancing. It doesn't matter that more teenagers have committed suicide in the last seven months than have died from COVID. It doesn't matter that opiate addiction and alcoholism is skyrocketing since the lockdowns went into effect. 
It doesn't matter that tens of thousands of small businesses have been ruined and will never open again because of COVID-19 and the government's decisions and guidelines and their enforcement. Over and over and over again, we hear people and see people who are paid, essentially, to tell us, to sell us on a narrative, to buy into that narrative. And then those useful idiots sitting at home in their chairs, on their couches, staring at their TVs for hours and hours and hours on end, believing that the talking heads on the TV, that their favorite celebrity, that their favorite sports stars actually care about them and have their best interest at heart. They swallow the lies and then it becomes a belief system, a dogma. And anyone who violates that dogma is a heretic. And just like the Salem witch trials, we burn heretics, we burn witches. So when I read the Havamal and I reflect on that, that the coward believes he will live forever if he holds back in the battle, but in old age he will have no peace, though spears have spared his life, how many people do you know who are so afraid of dying because they have been bombarded daily with threats and warnings and skewed data and mispresented data that has convinced them that if they breathe on somebody, they'll die. Or somebody breathes on them, actually, more to the point. To the extent that I was reading CPR guidelines the other day, they've been updated and the CPR guidelines direct, if you see someone who needs CPR, do not breathe on their mouth. Do not go mouth to mouth. Instead, you're supposed to cover their mouth with a towel and then do chest compressions, which as someone who's gone through emergency medical training and whose wife is a nurse, that's about the dumbest thing that I've read in the last seven months. And I've read a lot of stupid stuff. And so, yeah, I'm in kind of a rage today. I'm kind of angry. <laughs> if you couldn't tell, because I'm surrounded by cowards and it's like trying to box with shadows. They're anonymous. They won't come outside and present themselves in the light of day for all of us to, to look at. They won't stand up and say, I'm against you. I reported you. I did that. And I did it because I'm righteous and you're not. They hide behind their computer screens, their keyboard warriors. They hide behind anonymous phone calls. They walk around under the cover of darkness, tearing down signs, burning down people's businesses, attacking people. They're cowards. And yet their fear of death has driven them to behave in this way. And yet before COVID, they were the same personality. It's just that COVID and the media and politicians and activists and the celebrities and the sports stars, all of these people have essentially given them the okay, the go-ahead to be the person that they always were, but now to be proud of it. They've been affirmed in their cowardice. They've been affirmed to be a virtue warrior, a virtue signaler. But think about the Havamal and what it's saying there in the 16th stanza. The coward believes that avoiding direct violence can make it so that he lives forever. If I don't get breathed upon, if I don't come within six feet of you, 
if I just shut down all of these people who refuse to wear masks and comply with the mandates? If we can just get all of these people out of the way. Maybe if we could just get them all loaded up on buses or train cars and shipped off to some place where they can all be together and we can all be safe from them. Maybe if that will happen, then we can live. We can truly live. But it doesn't take much to realize that this is a false view. Because avoiding conflict does not give you a peaceful life. On the contrary, cowards worry all the time about avoiding problems, about avoiding conflicts, about avoiding violent interactions. And to the point also of Antifa and Black Lives Matter and others who do engage in violence in our streets, who do attack people in the streets, look at the people they're attacking. Look at the people they target. They, they target prey animals. They target nice people. They target the elderly and those who can't fight back. And then they overwhelm them in groups of three or four or six or 10 or 20. That's what cowards do. That's what bullies do. But notice they never attack a group of Marines on the street. They never attack a group of bikers. They don't get in the face of MMA fighters. They pick their prey very conscious of what they're doing so that they may avoid actual conflict and actual battle, actual strife. So when you see them on TV attacking someone, don't think to yourself, well, they're brave because they're not. They're punching down. That's like me rolling with a first day student and submitting them every 10 to 20 seconds. That doesn't make me a great jujitsu player. That makes me a bully. And if I won't go roll with a purple belt or a brown belt or a black belt and roll just as hard and go just as intensely at a black belt as I would a, a first day student, I'm a coward. 100%. Cowards worry all the time about avoiding problems, avoiding conflict, about having to punch up. And therefore, they don't actually ever know any peace intellectually, emotionally. They don't. Because all they care about is avoiding that conflict, that confrontation that will truly hurt, damage, harm, or kill them. And so what do they spend all of their time thinking about? Their own fears, sparing their own life, worrying, chewing on their own fingernails, biting their bottom lip, calculating, how do I avoid getting in direct conflict with those who are superior to me physically, emotionally? mentally. And so peace, when you think about it, at least according to the Havamal, peace isn't actually the absence of violence. Peace is the absence of aggression. When you eliminate the threat, there's peace. So peace is the absence of aggression. So there's, I wouldn't argue that Violence is then always justified as a means of solving our problems. I talked about this on the podcast previously about when you're always in battle and someone questions you or wants to engage in a spirited discussion, you tend to hear that as a battle call, a cry. 
when it's just a person saying, hey, I, I got a question and I want to argue that point because I don't know if I agree with you or not. So convince me. Violence isn't always justified. It's not always the best way of solving a conflict. Of There's times when you need to de-escalate the conflict, right? However, there are situations, there are going to be engagements where violence is morally justified and it is efficient and it is expedient and it is the right solution at that time. If you come into my yard, especially if my children are outside, and I tell you, you need to get out of my yard. I did not allow you. I did not give you permission to come into my yard. Remove yourself from my yard and let's start over. If you keep coming toward me, you are a direct threat to my family and I will act quickly and violently to stop you because that is the moral and the efficient and the expedient solution to what you have chosen, the path that you've chosen to walk down. If I see a dog, a rabid dog, wandering around in people's yards and there's a child outside or I see somebody coming down the street jogging, what do I do? Just stand by and watch what happens? Do I pull my phone out and record it so I can post it to Instagram? Or do I react appropriately, which is to engage quickly and violently to interject myself between the dog and a possible victim? Is that the best possible response in that moment? More than likely. So violence isn't necessarily always offensive, always attacking, always seeking out the next battle, always hunting down the dragon, going to the dragon's lair before the dragon comes to your village. How can you defend yourself from violence if you don't first understand violence? Let me repeat that. How can you defend yourself from violence without first understanding violence? We talked about this in regards to the ideal of going to war or the ideal of fighting. I still meet people, I especially meet people once they find out, find out what I do, who want to tell me about what a good fighter. They got a, in a fight in, in college or something or they took kickboxing 20 years ago or something like that or they're a black belt in Taekwondo from, again, back in the day. And they want to relate to me. They want to understand where I'm coming from. They think that we're on, you know, relatively equal grounding. But I'm asking myself, have you ever actually been in a fight? Have you actually ever been engaged in conflict with someone who wants to break your joints or strangle you unconscious or dominate you with their will physically? If you don't understand how to defend yourself from violence, how can you understand violence? Talking with a young woman the other day about taking classes in women's self-defense. In, in the course of the conversation, she was talking about wanting to learn how to fight, wanting to learn Muay Thai in particular, and learning how to strike and how to kick and how to knee and how to elbow. And after she got done, and she's very excited, and I'm glad to teach her, and I'm excited to start teaching her. I asked, do you have a good pair of running shoes? And she looked at me kind of quizzically and I said, the first, the first layer, the first layer of a level of self-defense for you as a woman, if I'm going to come after you and attack you and I'm determined to take you to the ground, 
because I outweigh you by about 40 pounds. And I'm hellbent on putting you down the first layer of defense is to run away and to have the cardio and the stamina to keep running until I get exhausted and decide you're not worth it. That's step one. But even stepping back from that, asking the question, do you carry yourself with your shoulders back and your chest out and your eyes up? Are you seeing everything around you? Are you spatially aware of your environment? Do you understand what's going on around you? Do you see the people around you? And are you able to positively identify threats? So that you don't even put yourself in a situation where you have to run away from an attacker. You don't have to engage physically in this conflict, in this struggle for life and death in some issues. Because as I've been taught by people who are much more experienced in this than I am, when someone attacks you, there's only three things they want, your body, your possessions, or your life. And if you're not ready to defend any of those to the death, figure out, get the training to not get in those situations and to do whatever you can to mitigate being put in those types of situations. Then we can start talking about self-defense training. So violence isn't just for people that like to get into fights. In fact, I would argue that violence is definitely not for people who like to get into fights. But yet you can't defend yourself from those types of people if you yourself first don't understand violence. And maybe to go back to what I was reflecting on earlier, not just a matter of physical violence, but what do you do when someone reports you anonymously to local law enforcement or to OSHA or whoever it may be? How do you respond to a shadow? How do you fight back physically against shadows? You can't. You're shadow boxing. So then how do you defend yourself from that intellectual and that emotional attack that usually comes as a consequence of someone reporting you to the authorities? So it's not just offensively, I'm going to go across the street and confront my neighbor because she called the police on me for not wearing a mask. I need to understand the type of violence that's coming, that's being directed at me so that I can then understand how to meet that violence, how to be the most expedient and efficient and morally just in how I react to that violence. If someone tries to do intellectual violence to me, am I trained up in how to argue with rhetoric, how to use oratory, how to speak to someone efficiently, how to express myself accurately and soberly? how to communicate my thoughts to those who may oppose my ideas, my philosophy, my theology, whatever it may be? Have I taken the time to learn how to think critically and then how to speak in a way that people can not only understand me, but that I'm effective in communicating what I'm thinking to them? The best counterattack to a bad idea is a good idea. It's not to cancel someone. It's not to, to slap someone across the face or knock them down and threaten them to delete them, the best solution, the best counterattack to a bad idea is a good idea. So learn how to argue your ideas. If you believe that you have a good ideology or a good philosophy or orthodox doctrine, learn how to articulate it in such a way that you can persuade people who embrace those bad ideas, that bad doctrine, to convert, to repent, to say, you know what, I hadn't thought about it that way before. Thank you. I appreciate that. Can we continue this conversation? Or if someone attacks you emotionally and they attempt to gaslight you and manipulate you so that you believe that you deserve the abuse, you deserve to be the target of this violence, that you're the crazy one, that you're the sociopath, 
do you know how to stifle your emotions? Do you know how to cage them in such a way like we talk about with the, in the Hagakure and the Samurai? Everything in their life committed, devoted to the, the pursuit of transcending your fears. Can you cage those fears? Can you live without fear? Because to live and to be dominated by fear, such a heavy emotion, is to become a coward functionally because you're so dominated by fear, fear of this relationship, fear of entering into this conflict with this person, fear of COVID, fear of terrorists, fear of the government, fear of whatever it might be, that once again, you're afraid to live. You're afraid to get into a conflict because of the emotional cost. Think about if you grew up in a, in a, a Christian household or a Jewish household or a Muslim household, and your parents raised you up in the doctrine of your faith. And then at a certain point in your maturation, you discovered a different confession of that faith or a different faith altogether. And now all of a sudden your parents are upset with you and they begin to question your decisions and the people that you're hanging around with. Maybe they start to then attack your teachers or attack the person or people that in introduced you to that new doctrine, that different doctrine. And then by and by, they stop vilifying not just your teachers or those who introduced you to that doctrine, but they start to vilify you. You know physically they're not going to attack you, or maybe they will. And you know intellectually, you can stand on equal footing with them. You've put in the work, you've read the books, you've meditated, you've studied, you've engaged in conversation with others about these things. But emotionally, the toll is enormous. That you believe that what you are confessing is true. You believe the doctrine that you have accepted is, is good. That you're on the right path. And yet, your parents, your spouse, whoever it might be, all of a sudden you're the enemy. You used to be orthodox, but now you're heterodox. You used to be orthodox, but now you're the enemy. What do you do with that? How do you confront that? How do you meet that? You don't want to be the one to launch the offensive, but you do want to be able to defend yourself and understand the kind of violence that coming, that's coming at you so that you can deflect it, so that you can meet it and counterattack it. But going back to the, to the point of using Muay Thai and Jiu-Jitsu as, as, a, as a platform or a jumping off point for this whole conversation, my, my closest, most intimate friends the people that I love as much as anybody I've ever loved in my life, short of my, my wife and my children, every day we try and break each other's joints, strangle each other into unconsciousness, kick, knee, elbow, throw each other to the ground, punch each other in the head. Every day. We're violent people. It's what we do. It gets us excited. It's like a drug. We attack each other. We spar with each other on the ground and on our feet. And what are we trying to do? We're trying to enforce our will on the other person. We're trying to dominate the other person with this strength of force and the knowledge of these techniques, these methods of violence. And yet, I love them more than anybody else. And I care about them more than anybody else. And regardless of whether they're Christian or not, 
or believe in God or not, the people that I am close to, closest to, are morally people. They're righteous people. They're good men and women. And we don't engage in this conflict. We don't come together to do violence to each other in order to hurt and harm, kill each other. That's not the point. What we're trying to do, what we do do, is break each other down so that we can build each other up. By breaking each other down, by humbling each other, by developing these intimate bonds forged in the, the heat of conflict, we actually are building each other up stronger, like folding metal to make a sword. The violence that we engage in in Muay Thai and Jiu Jitsu actually makes us better people. So it's not that violence never solves anything. That's a lie. In fact, violence can save your life in many ways, if you really think about it. Maybe more than you even realize. Maybe more than you've ever, like I said, contemplated or imagined. But to come back finally then and bookend this with the Havamal again, the coward believes he will live forever if he holds back in the battle, if he turns and runs. But in old age he shall have no peace, even though spears have spared his life. Once you know you're a coward, you can never escape that reality. I've talked about my little brother before, and when he trained and trained and trained in mixed martial arts, and then was confronted by someone who wanted to do violence to him, who sought to do violence to him, he ran away, not physically, but emotionally and intellectually. The reality, the truth came to the surface which is that if this person grabs me and throws me to the ground, I'm not going to resist. I'm not going to fight back because I'm afraid. And I'm going to allow this fear to rule over me. And it crushed him. It destroyed him. And he'll never recover from that by his own admission. He's got to live with that every day now. And that's a hard lesson to be taught at such a young age, in your mid-twenties. And yet I was the opposite. I lived for 20 years not knowing for certain whether my, my perspective of myself was true or not. Was I a courageous person or was I a coward? And then to put myself in a situation to discover the truth was more terrifying to me than the actual situation itself. I got armbarred. I got rear naked choked a lot. <laughs> and yet I walked away. I lived. And something happened in that moment for me, in that hour. It changed me forever. So that my wife can say to me, you don't have a hobby. It's your life. Mixed martial arts isn't a hobby. It's your life. And all of life is bent around this task then of constant Violence, constant engagement with people I love, constantly striving to become stronger and to grow as a person so that I can be better for other people and serve other people to the best of my abilities when they need me to do that. 
But it starts with this, for me anyways. The cowards don't know peace. And so how do we arrive at a place where we can know peace? Well, it's very simple actually, right? Is that peace is not the absence of violence. Peace is the absence of aggression. Am I an aggressive person? No, not unless I need to be. Am I a violent person? Yeah, absolutely. My best friends are violent people, but they're not aggressive people. And there's an important distinction to be had there. And I think that we all need to think more deeply about that distinction between violence and aggression. And so we strive for peace by making ourselves, by engaging in activities that make us less aggressive towards others. I don't have anything to prove to you. I don't have to prove what a man I am. I don't have to prove to myself and, and, and satisfy and stroke my ego about the hero that I want to project out onto the world, the big, tough guy I want to project. No, I'm not that guy. I don't have to be that guy. And when I forget that I don't have to be that guy, I've got a lot of people around me, good friends, who will take me to task and put me on the ground and say, yeah, you're, you're not that guy. You're not that guy. You're this guy. That guy, he's an asshole. I don't like that guy. But this guy, I like this guy. I like you when you're this guy. So what can I do to help you be that guy? Here, let me triangle choke you. <laughs> Here, let me elbow you upside your head. How's that? that? That shake things loose for you again? That sets you right? Okay, good, good. And we laugh about it. And we embrace each other. We pull each other up off the mat. We tell each other we appreciate each other. We're grateful for each other. It's a strange thing, but it's the truth. It's definitely saved my life in more ways than one. More ways than I'll probably ever realize this side of the resurrection. But to the cowards, I'm not the source of your upset. I'm not the reason that you can't enjoy a moment's peace. I know you want me to represent that, to be an avatar for all that's wrong with you in your own heart and the darkness of your own heart. But I'm not the source of your problems. You are. And unless you confront yourself, you will never know peace. Unless you stop running from the battle and step out, you'll never know peace. And you'll always be a shadowy aggressor. You'll always want to take away from others what you yourself lack, which is peace. And so rather than avoid conflict, rather than running away from the fight, find people worth fighting for and surround yourself with people worth fighting with. And watch as your life is changed for the better. So that's all I got for today on that. Thank you for listening to me. Thank you for allowing me to vent and to think through these things that I'm wrestling with right now. The shirt design is done, and I was just about to order a limited run of, of shirts. And then I was talking with my friend Andy last night, and he knows somebody who knows somebody who runs a print shop. So I'm hoping that maybe if I can hook up with these people and we can get the design put on uh, a shirt in their shop, that not only can I get more shirts, um, but then there'll be more f to go around because I thought I'd get 20 shirts made up and hopefully sell 20. And then 
I've already talked to a dozen people in the last, since I talked, you know, said to them, hey, I got the shirt design made up and everything. And every one of them said, like, can I pre-order? Can I get a shirt set aside for me? And I was like, well, that's four there, five, six, seven there, one there, one there. So it's like I already sold 20 t-shirts before I even printed them up. So right now I'm just trying to find uh, somebody locally that I can support business-wise and someone locally then that I can work with to print up more than 20 shirts and do more than just a limited run right now. Because apparently there are those of you who want one of these shirts. And I think when you see the design that I that I drew up, you're going to be excited by it too. I like it a lot. So <laughs> to toot my own horn, I really like the design I came up with. But uh, that is in the pipeline for sure. And my mats are ordered. I'm waiting for them to be completed. And once my mats are done, um, then the Warrior Priest gym will actually be up and running as well. Starting off with just Muay Thai at first to, to get things down and... and see how many mats I actually need. Once again, I might have underestimated the number of people who want to take Muay Thai and train in this area, but I didn't want to buy $5,000 worth of mats and then all of a sudden find out that I have two students. So I think, you know, act boldly and, and pursue what you're passionate about, but also I think be humble enough to recognize that maybe not blow your entire bank account in, in anticipation of what isn't a sure thing. So I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm starting humbly and then building up as I go. So for all of you, those who support me and have encouraged me to go in this way and, and supported me financially, thank you for doing it. Um, I can't believe in the middle of COVID I'm starting another business and also writing a book. Uh, it's my second book and printing up t-shirts and doing all the other stuff and running a homeschool. <laughs> so, oh, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I just, I'm like, yeah, let's do that too. Why not? There's, there's 24 hours in a day. So thank you to all of you who have encouraged me and especially thank you to everybody who keeps me humble. All my, my training partners, my teammates, I appreciate you more than anybody, especially right now. And we will get through this and we will confront the predators and the monsters that lurk in the darkness. We will confront them. We will fight against them. And God willing, we will prevail. So talk to you again next time. Thank you so much as always. Love you. Peace.